everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Are You Kidding Me? I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And I am Ian Rowe, also a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And today, Naomi, I'm very excited. We have Erica Anderson joining us. Erica is a freelance writer. She hosts a podcast called Worth Your Time, and it is certainly worth your time uh, to listen to. She's writing a book about women and the church. And most importantly, Erica is a mom herself. And so, Erica, thank you for joining us. Much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you guys today. Yeah. So, Erica, you wrote a very fascinating piece a couple of weeks ago called Bringing Birth Fathers Back Into Adoption Narratives. Both Naomi and I do a lot of work in adoption. We know how crucial adoption can be for very vulnerable children. And oftentimes the narrative around adoption centers around birth mothers because of the the fact that oftentimes they're the ones who are raising the children. But as your piece highlights, birth fathers are typically not part of the narrative. So I'd love for you to talk about the article and maybe first just start with why are birth fathers typically not part of the adoption story? Sure. Yeah. I, I would love to tell you a little bit about it. So Back in the old days, whatever that, whatever you want to call that, adoption was very hush-hush, as you probably know. It was sort of a shameful thing to be pregnant out of wedlock. And a lot of times girls were sort of taken to you know, a maternity home or just a place where nobody was talking about it. And many times the birth fathers were never even told about it. And in fact, I discovered in writing this that the birth fathers were not even legally required to be notified if an adoption was going to take place until 1972. And so they were sort of culturally cut out in that way from the start, at least when it comes to we're talking about the you know past hundred years or so. And before that, as far as I was reading, like adoption, it was more like a family thing, like you would a kid would go to a family member or orphanages. And so adoption is in that sense, it seems to be sort of more of a modern concept in general, at least in the West. And so it was really interesting to see where that started. And it's almost like from that point on, birth fathers never did gain a position after that. Now, luckily, they did pass a law. Although now, you know, what I discovered is that many of them still don't know because they may not be aware that there is a child out there unless they register for a paternity a putative yeah. father registry, which most states have, and they can and look there, but still many of them may not know about an adoption. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you say, you know, it used to be that if a young woman got pregnant, you know, she was kind of shuttled away, but it also used to be that there were shotgun weddings, right? That the mm. guy stepped up and they got married. So there's even more stigma associated with a birth father who didn't step up. So how do we bring birth fathers back into the narrative now, present day? Yeah, well, there is, like you're saying, there is a lot of stigma and stereotypes when it comes to birth fathers, because a lot of people, their first inclination is, it's a guy who ran off, it's a kind of a not a good guy, someone who's not supporting the woman. And that may be true in some cases, but I also think we've sort sort of stripped the birth father of his dignity by the origination of how this happened before 1972. And then just with this, you know, continual focus on the birth mother, it's almost like there's an impression out there that fathers don't matter and that we don't need them. And, you know, you would think, oh, well, it's an adoption. So those parents aren't going to be involved anyways, but that's actually 
Not true at all. Adoptions have become more and more open over the past couple of decades. They used to be very closed with sealed records. And now because of you know studies that they've done sociologically and things like that, they've learned that you know, adoptees fare better, you know, in all ways, mentally, physically, and all of those things when they have a relationship with their birth family, which is, as we know, specifically, usually the birth mother. But so what they found is that if they have that relationship with the birth mother, and it helps them that much, having a relationship with the birth father would help them that much more. And what I found in my interviews is that people really are just as curious about their birth fathers as their birth mothers, but they rarely have enough information or the connections that they need in order to form those relationships. So they're sort of left wondering, you know, who that part of them is. Yeah, that was, a I found a very moving part of your article, you know, when you spoke to these people about kind of the missing link that was in their lives, both in terms of birth mother and birth father. What are the things that I wonder about When I talk to people who are at adoption agencies, for instance, and a birth mother comes in, you know, often she does not want to reveal the birth father. And, you know, I wonder whether this is we're sort of headed for kind of a cultural clash here, because is this just the mother's decision to sort of say, I don't want to tell you who the birth father is. I don't want anything to do with him. It's my decision whether to keep this child, whether to place this child for adoption. And it's sort of become almost like a mother's autonomy that you know she gets to determine what happens to this this future child and she gets to determine whether the birth father is ever informed. Yeah, I mean I'm glad that we made some strides and that they're supposed to be notified but of course a birth mom can say she doesn't know who he is, she doesn't know where he is and all right. of those things. What that made me me think of was sort of just it kind of also plays into the conversation about abortion because birth fathers don't really have a say there either. And so my thought in writing this article was that were we to sort of give them a more important role in the whole process, like give them more of an opportunity to step up, tell them they actually do have a voice and actually do have an opinion in this situation, whichever choice the woman does want to make, wouldn't that be better for everyone to be able to give them a voice and give them a place to stand? And actually the guy that I write about in the beginning of the story in his book He is a birth father that was way more involved in the process than the birth mother. And that's not normally what you you see. And I thought it was just interesting to get his perspective of someone that cared so much. And you just don't see that very often. Yeah. So let's put ourselves in the shoes of a birth father. You've been with your partner. Hopefully she's told you that she's pregnant. What's the process that you have to go through? You mentioned these putative father registries. Do guys even know about this? Walk us through what's the reality. Well, I think we probably do need a a little bit more advocacy about the putative father registries because I doubt a lot of people do. I didn't know what they were until I wrote this story. So, you know, I think in most states and every state is different. So you would need to check state laws, but Most states have like a requirement of the mother to contact the father and get him to sign off on adoption if she can find it. But with what penalty if she doesn't? Yeah, see, that's something I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I think what it comes down to is the father has rights. So if he finds out that this child was adopted without his permission, I think what that means is that the law was violated and he then has some kind of right to... Yeah, he can stand in the way of the adoption. 
And even if the adoption has been has been finalized, if it turns out that the father has not been informed, there are serious legal consequences and it could involve the overturning of the adoption, actually. So that is definitely one thing if the mother wants things to remain as she sort of set them out, informing the father really should be a part of that. Yeah. And and hopefully they're telling women, you know, the seriousness of that situation. Of course, I don't know sort of what goes into those conversations. But yeah, I think that's the whole point. It's just that fathers do have rights. And so they're trying to create some rules around that. But I think we could be doing a better job in terms of communicating what those are and just letting men know what their rights are if they get into this situation. Some public information would be helpful. In terms of the kids, I mean, I, I, like I said, I found very moving the parts of your article where you talked about these kids who, you know, were missing these connections. It's certainly true, though, that, you know, some of these fathers are people who we don't want involved in the lives of kids, you know, who, who the mothers have good reason for shielding from this process. How do we kind of navigate that question? I mean, the, our podcast is really about the question of, children's interests and, you know, making sure that systems that are supposed to be helping kids are actually doing that. And so, you know, in the cases where you have a birth father who may not be the kind of person you would want involved in a child's life, you know, what are the ways that we think about those situations? Yeah, well, I think in that case, I mean, I think it's really important, obviously, for adoptive parents to be really educated about everything and and understand that you know, even if a baby is adopted as a newborn, there's still like a trauma, there's still a separation that's taken place. And and it's important to, I think, probably have like counseling or, you know, something on hand to like kind of process what's happened in that, you know, departure from the birth family. And then I talked to a guy who does this for a living. He's a therapist and a counselor for adoptive families. And he brought that up and he's, you know, it's just sort of a educated decision kind of thing, like, you know, figure out who this person is and, you know, make sure that you're dealing with someone that is safe to be in relationship with. I think it obviously might need to be on a case by case basis. But even if, for example, someone maybe isn't safe to be around, you don't want the child to be with them, even having information about them, such as like medical history or family traits or stories, even having the information can provide some kind of just a semblance of understanding better who you are as a person that doesn't know your birth family. It still seems that this this putative registry, though, is crucial to this entire process. Why is that by state? Because even that seems like it could be problematic because let's say you're in a certain state, but your partner goes to a different state. I don't think it's a locked down process because it definitely, I know it's not in every state even. I I think it's in something like 40 states maybe. And so I'm assuming there's probably, they probably need to do some reforming and some like perfecting of that system because I'm sure that it is not doing everything it's meant to do. Yeah. But no, we could definitely, I mean, I think this is, you know, this is true about, you know, family law generally, everything is done on a state by state basis. And then you get situations where there are things that you really want states to be sharing. I mean, there's a you know program called birth match where, you know, if a child, for instance, has been removed from their family because the parents were abusive or neglectful, and then that, you know, they have another child, like you'd want to be aware of that ahead of time. But that state's registry of those people will not be shared with the state next door. And so, you know, it it just creates all these information problems. So even if it doesn't turn into like a 
you know, a federal law, even if you could have more cooperation among the states so that a putative father registry would be shared across these state lines. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that you'd probably turn up a lot more matches that way. Yeah. Are you aware of any policy initiatives that are moving in this direction to make it more likely or easier for birth fathers to be back in the lives of their kids or to have their birth children be able to find them more readily? I'm not aware of any particular policy initiatives, but I do think that more sort of nonprofits and and more in just sort of the that space and the cultural space of the adoption world that maybe they're moving towards more of an effort for that, just since all of this data that's somewhat, maybe not super recent, but more recent, showcasing the, the health and mental benefits of connecting with the birth families. From the people that I spoke to, it seemed that their minds were sort of moving more in that direction to sort of create just a culture and environment where birth fathers are more a part of the picture. So, you know, what does that look like and how fast does it happen? I'm not sure, but I think it's good that it's being talked about. And, you know, as we're having this conversation, it makes me sort of want to like get the word out more about those registries and just about like telling guys that like it is part of their responsibility and it is something that they should have a voice in and and take responsibility for more often. I think more of the fathers would would choose to parent themselves? I mean, that I guess that's one question too, kind of early on here. Like if the father is removed from this adoption process entirely, it's obviously, you know, maybe more socially acceptable now to have a, a single father parent. I mean, I don't think it's that common, but would more fathers sort of step up and say, you know, even if the mother doesn't want this child, I want this child and I'll figure out a way to take care of this child. Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be interesting to see if that happened. And I mean, it's certainly you'd at least see it in in a small number, but I think that it's just something that almost doesn't seem like a possibility or even a reality. And and we'd sort of have to create that or paint that reality and sort of paint that picture to say like, this is actually something that you can do if you want to do it. Of course, I think, you know, a healthy two parent family is probably always going to be the best situation for a child. But if we're not even offering the option to a birth father, I mean, I think we're kind of missing out on a, on a larger conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Erica, I mean, last question. You wrote the article for Christianity Today. What role do you think religious institutions should or can play in this whole area? Well, I think religious institutions are, you know, huge in the adoption space. Generally, I think they probably are. They're probably the majority of people that are working in that space. And most of them do think fathers are extremely important, of course. And I think just talking about it more, I think this article actually stemmed from, I don't know his position, but he works at Focus on the Family and his three sons are adopted. And he wrote an open letter to their three birth fathers that was like in a newspaper. And so just even doing things like that and just talking about it, I think is a big deal. And so I think all around, they could be doing that in each of these different places and just emphasizing the role of fathers and and the role that they could have. All right, great. Well, we really appreciated your writing the article and we appreciated your joining us today. You can get episodes of Are You Kidding Me? on the AEI podcast channel or wherever you get your podcasts. And we would love to hear your feedback about other guests we would have on. With that, I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley. And I'm Ian Rowe. Erica, thank you very much. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, thanks again.